you know, there's so much buzz about sustainability. And I know there's pe- the people who are talking and trying to do work around it, but I would want to see more. I feel like not enough action has been taken. We talk about it, we know it, we acknowledge it, but we need to do more. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show, an entrepreneurship podcast that delivers you real stories and advice from successful founders and CEOs in various industries. I'm your host, Carol Schultz, a longtime professional recruiter, executive coach, thought leader, and creator of talent-centric organizations. Enjoy the show. Joining me today is Mitali Saxena, founder and CEO of Fashion, selling AI-powered personally styled clothing for busy moms based on their body size. She's an entrepreneur and fashion strategy leader with a strong track record building successful fashion startups. Mitali has built and scaled a zero to multi-million dollar revenue fashion tech brand. And she recently did a TED talk about using mindfulness techniques to create ideas. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Carol. So Mitali, what would you say is the biggest problem that you are solving for your customers, your clients? Um, as a woman, I'm pretty sure you and other um, members of this audience can relate. When we go shopping online, it's very hard to figure out what will look good on us because for yeah. us, it's not a small, medium, large problem. It's more like mm-hmm. our body shape problem. And our body shape also change as we grow and we have different stages in life, you know, when we give birth and, you know, we get older. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the biggest problem my company is solving is reducing the time spent online, looking for what looks good on you and helping you understand what you should get in terms of not just fit, but also style that would look good on your body shape. So how do you go about doing that? So we use certain data points from you. When you fill out a questionnaire, we get some information regarding your body shape, like, you know, what your bra size is, bra band, your hip size, you know, and we also take, you know, we ask for uh, a size that you you usually buy, but we also like to know where you buy from. So that gives us an idea where, you know, your mm-hmm. size range would be. But based mm-hmm. off of certain information that you input, we get we figure out what your body shape would be like. Um, and again, you know, there's other algorithms we run because we collected over 2 million data points from before. And based off of that, we measure our own clothing. So we have product specs for our own clothing and we match you with what would fit and look good best on you from different brands that we carry, different styles we carry. Interesting. So... You have, um, you founded this particular company in, in mid 2018. Um, and when you did so, you were looking for investment, which fell through during COVID. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, why that happened. I mean, I can speculate why that happened, but I'd rather hear it from you. Um, and then, and then how you went about bootstrapping from there on. Sure. I actually bootstrapped in the beginning. I didn't start raising money till twenty and mid of twenty nineteen. The reason being right. I wanted to make sure that our numbers look good. There's mm-hmm. no point I felt there was no point for us to put money in a leaky bucket. So we launched our first beta site in the end of twenty eighteen, beginning of twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. So twenty nineteen, like the first six months we made sure that we were growing and accelerating and 
um, you know, our trajectory looked good. Um, we knew what channels to hit. We knew where our revenue was coming from. And mm-hmm. then based off of that, we started looking for external funding. Um, we signed our contract like literally two days before lockdown. Uh, <laughs> your, con- your contract for investment. Yes, it was okay. uh, Series A. Yeah. Okay. We actually mm-hmm. skipped seed uh, because our revenue was pretty good. So we went right. directly to see a Series A. And it we went back and forth for about six months, you know, trying to see if things would change. Like, you know, we all know it was supposed to be three months and done deal. But COVID exaggerated and continued for almost two years. So, um, yeah, during that time, you know, the, there was so much, so much that happened in the financial sector that our investment fell through, but our saving grace was our revenue. Um, instead of scaling based off of the investment we were getting, we just basically started growing more through our revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a huge demand for like Zoom tops because everyone started you know, working from home. <laughs> right, of course. That's all you can see from here right up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't see what that... a slob I am from the rest of the way no. down. <laughs> uh-huh. So jewelry, you know, things that would accessorize yeah. you top up. Um, and then, yeah, we basically started scaling from there and we kept going. I mean, it was definitely a setback because, you know, having a big chunk of money versus you trying to grow on your own is a little different. Mm-hmm. But it taught us a lesson that, you know, you especially now, you know, when we saw all the, soft bank issues, you know, we work, all that stuff that happened, it, it gives us like, uh, it gave us a boost actually that, you know, we could survive and do well on our own instead of relying on external funding. That's interesting. So, so do you, are, are the clothing that you're selling, is, is that already it, things that are being produced? And the point is, is that you're, by getting all this information from from your customers, from these women, you're able to then match them with things that are already in the market? Or are you making things specifically to fit their needs? No, it's the, the first one. So okay. initially we were buying from like designers. So making sure that, you know, we are also supporting small businesses and, mm-hmm. you know, not like going, going to big retailers and buying stuff from them. Um, but something else happened during COVID or really a little after COVID. A lot of retailers' brands overproduced because they didn't know what it was going to look like sure. uh, in the market. So there was surplus. There has been surplus inventory that's just going to landfills. And uh, we were contacted by big merchants to see if we'd be able to buy liquidation and, you know, help them out because, I mean, we had the demand. We were doing this business. So... Now our inventory supply has actually changed from buying, you know, from smaller boutique type of or wholesalers, designers. We are actually doing that for retailers surplus inventory that will go to, that would eventually go to landfills if we don't do this. They just literally throw clothes away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do to make space? Because it costs, it costs money to hold inventory, right? I know, but that's just so tragic and wasteful. It is. It is. Yeah. So horrible. With the, designers we actually are doing another branch of fashion it's called fashion Lux, where we're doing one-on-one styling and supporting these individual uh designers so it's not like we completely left them out and you know we won't mm-hmm. uh to no, i think that's great so it's basically like you have different price points that way correct right exactly and that way we are making sure we come contributing to the economy and we're not like you know uh, it's it's very sad like you said 
the the way the environment mm-hmm. has been treated with landfills and ex- mm-hmm. excess of everything. I agree. You know, I'm a big advocate of and and you know those who can afford to buy the custom clothing. Um, that's always my preference when possible, right? There's a fabulous company here that makes gorgeous women's clothing out of Pagosa Springs, Colorado. Right. You know, and I patronize them as often as I can. Right. You know, I'm not only am I buying American made goods, I'm buying goods made in my own state. Right. Which is, I think, fantastic. So, so you, uh, got both your bachelor's and okay. master's. Um, from Florida Institute in Technology, first uh, in computer engineering and then in electrical engineering, respectively. Um, you spent a good bit of time in wireless communications um, after uh, prior to founding your first fashion tech startup, Fashion in Miami. Uh, you know, and and I know you're currently uh, working on launching a B two B SaaS platform that uses AI and ML. Uh, to help retailers reduce returns and predict and plan inventory, which I want to hear a little bit more about. Um, you know, you you run run a program for feeding underprivileged kids in Swaziland, Africa. Um, you know, you support nonprofit organizations for animals. You know, you you're, you've got a lot of things going on. But tell me a little bit about you know that journey from getting out of school to what the impetus was behind your first startup, behind all the various things that you've done that have led you to where you are today. Wow, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to take a few days to answer that, but I'll try and kind of try, try to <laughs> compress it into, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, I, I went to school without knowing what I was going to come out of. Like yeah. I knew what lot, I wanted to study. People. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my parents are engineers, my family, a lot of, um, us are engineers, my brother's an engineer. So I thought that was the easy path to take, uh, cause right. I could see their career and I was like, oh, if nothing, I'm just going to do what they did. Mm-hmm. And, um, surprisingly I was like one out of maybe 100, 150 students in the class. And, you know, and this was like back in 2006 ish, six, seven, like there were not too many women in tech. Uh, yeah. so uh, that was, it wasn't like a hindrance, but I, it was surprising for me. Like, I'm like, why are there no tech women? Um, and it, the story kind of still continues now, and we can talk later about this. Um, and then I got out of uh, college and I heard this from, I think, Steve Jobs that you can only connect your, you can only connect dots backwards. So I can actually connect all my dots backwards now that I look at my life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so I studied wireless communications for my master's. I ended up going to New York after that. Mm-hmm. I started working for T-Mobile. I got into a startup in, that was based in Canada and I was doing software sales for them. And I really liked the whole, uh, you know, software side and, you know, startup environment. And I'm like, well, maybe one day I'll do that too. My story for fashion actually started in New York. Um, I was living there for many years, but I never noticed something that I noticed on one single day. I was walking uh, down on Fifth Avenue and I started looking at all the models, you know, on the billboards and all the signage uh, on the stores. And I noticed that every fashion magazine, every fashion blogger was a certain size and they looked a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I went back and I'm like, is this for real? Like, have I not, never noticed this before? 
Yeah, I'm surprised you'd never noticed it before. <laughs> I, I'd probably noticed it, but never, it didn't. <laughs> Not it didn't consciously. Bring, yeah, I know, it didn't affect me uh, yeah. in that way. So I started looking into it, like what is Instagram doing? Like the whole idea of Instagram was to put filters. And so it started bothering me. Let's, instead of like appreciating what was out there, it started bothering me. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first campaign was in front of um, New York Fashion Week in 2015. This is without fashion at all. Uh, mm-hmm. A friend of mine and I, we just stood out of uh, you know nowhere. We stood in front of New York Fashion Week on the street. Uh, we had two locations. At one location, we had a plus size model. And on the other location, we had a transgender model. And we put like, and it was very grassrooty campaign. We had like a whiteboard that said, um, you don't have to be a runway model in real life. And if you relate yeah, to this message, that. put a yeah. be real sticker on us. Mm-hmm. So we just stood there to watch, like, is, are people going to notice this? What's going on? And uh, we had tremendous, tremendous support from like people walking into the fashion week. Just regular tourists that were on the street. Uh, we had a lot of PR. Uh, when we launched our video, we had over 100,000 views on this one the first day because we already, mm. co- you know, a lot of press had already covered us. Um, and that was it. That was my stepping stone. I said, okay, now I know where, what then, at least I knew what my mission was. You know, the yeah. business model and everything came out later, much later. But I knew my mission was to promote body positivity and self-love, especially in women. So, uh, yeah, one step led to another. And then I started looking into different business models of fashion. In fact, the first version was uh, an Instagram for fashion without filters. So basically promoting what people are wearing around the world. And we had over 150,000 people who joined the platform. But the revenue wasn't clear and I didn't see a very clear growth path. And it just was becoming more like an Instagram. So we switched the model in 2018 when we launched uh, what we're doing now. You know, you talk about when you mention, you know, body positivity and self-love in, in women, um, you know, I mean, it's it's clear to me that this is required because of, to your point, right? I mean, I grew up and every model was stick thin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, most of them I didn't feel had a particularly good shape because they were so thin. Yeah. But this is what fashion said women were supposed to look like. So anybody outside that, and I think there's that's still the case in many ways, um, have, you know, not felt good about themselves, right? But the other side of that is, you know, how far do we take, this is going to be controversial, body positivity for, you know, obese or morbidly obese people, which is really not healthy. Um, so the first thing is like, I think it's awareness, right? Um, I think over the years, even from the time I launched that Be Real campaign, I'm seeing there has been more awareness into that issue. Um, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know those hashtags existed, but they were coming out. Like, you know, there's a hashtag called F Your Beauty Standards. There's, you know... F your beauty standards. It's a hashtag. And there's like people who promote that. Dub started doing a campaign. Recently, I don't know if you saw, but I think it was Miss Universe that just happened. And Miss Nepal is a plus size model who came on stage. Yeah. Wow. 
So there definitely has been Mm -hmm. has been like an awareness thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like it's like a I don't want to consider it like a drop in the ocean. I feel like it's a movement, and the more people get aware of it, more you can you know try and change. So it's it's just Mm -hmm. like you know bringing a change Mm -hmm. in something that's been we've been conditioned to see for you know many 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 years, hundreds of Mm -hmm. years, and now it's just a different way of looking at beauty and people. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, one of the major reasons why I practice mindfulness and all of that is, um, it actually gave me the idea. Like I was sitting in meditation when all this came to me, and I discovered that you know, universally there was a need for a change. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm Gandhi and I'm going to change the world, but I am contributing at least in many ways that I can. Um, to answer your second question, like I'll be supporting obesity or uh, you know is it are we, are we promoting unhealthy women i think health and um and body weight do not correlate you can be mm-hmm. very healthy even mm-hmm. if you are you know if you're overweight it doesn't like body weight and health doesn't really correlate right you any skinny people mm-hmm. have diseases man right. you know so mm-hmm. do uh you know overweight women so women or men but yeah. so that's why I feel like that whole health issue has nothing to do with how you look. That's great. Um, yeah, <laughs> I happen to agree. And by the way, in many in many ways on that, I've done a great deal of reading, and you know, um, I'm I'm I've been getting through a really really interesting book uh, by a physician, and you know, he talks about you know basically thin on the outside and unhealthy on the inside, mm-hmm. and to the opposite you know, fat on the outside and healthy on the inside. And I'm glad that, I'm, I'm glad that you pointed that out. Right. Um, you know, so, so yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, what's the competitive nature of your business? Um, do you want me to name the competitors or I mean, you can if you want. I mean, I'm just kind of like, what's sure? You know, I mean, are there so other competitors also, out there? What does that look yeah. like? Yeah, sure. Um, so over the years, again, this you know, one thing that I always tell entrepreneurs is like, never stick to the idea that you know you came up with. Yes, there are successes we've seen that happen, but even Instagram pivoted. You know, Facebook pivoted a million times. It's still pivoting. Like you know, this Meta, this and that happening. So we should always be open to. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to new trends, you know, to things that can um, that can come up during the journey. So for passion as well, uh, we started off with you know differentiating ourselves by cost. So our boxes were much cheaper than what was out there. We started showing up preview because that was one of the issues I had with uh, styling boxes that I couldn't choose what I wanted, and they'd send me sweaters in Miami in the month of July for far like seven hundred bucks. I'm like I now have to go to the post office, return, I didn't even get to choose what I wanted. So that was uh, uh, our basic differentiator in the beginning. But over the years, like I'm saying, like we kind of started evolving. And now that we are solving this whole problem for inventory, surplus inventory that exists out there. So we started differentiating by doing mystery sale boxes. So there's a mystery component, but we make sure that, again, using our tech, you don't get like random stuff. You actually get things that we know you would like, um, but we don't take returns. So there's a fixed price for it and it's a very reasonable price. So it's $95 and you get four to six pieces of clothing um, or even jewelry. And, you know, we are helping surplus inventory that's floating around. That might be going to landfills and we're giving a good deal. Like it's, it, it's like Christmas present for now, you know? <laughs> um, so 
uh, in terms of yeah, competitors, I don't. Uh, we don't see too many competitors like this. Like uh, you it. know, we're doing like um, sale box mm. and no return, and that also also count on carbon footprint, right? The more returns you do, um, it mm-hmm. reduces the carbon the footprint. Carbon, so, right, of course. so yeah, all of that. Um, you know, again, I got mindful as I did more of it. Like you know, more we did the business, more I understood where the problem and passion is. Passion wasn't my forte. I came from tech. I didn't know right. anything about fashion. I didn't know how much they were producing, overproducing. I just bought clothes. I actually didn't. I knew about fast fashion, but I didn't know how much market was taken over by fast fashion. So, so how do you define fast fashion? Uh, example, Shein. I, I, I hope that's how they pronounce it. But whatever. Shein, S-H-E-I-N. Like you buy clothes for five bucks and from they're made in China. And like, we don't even know what kind of condition I know it's horrible there. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you see on Facebook there's, and, and the brands change their names all the time because I think they yeah. have to, because yeah. people get the stuff this, I, and I, listen, I, I, um, I fell into this trap once where I ordered from one of these companies the, and the pictures were gorgeous of the clothes. Right. And then you get the clothes and the quality is completely really crap. Yeah. The quality of people who are making the clothes in the north. That's the well, issue. Well, that's right. And then, and then, you know, you email them back and say, this is not what was in the picture. It's complete crap. And they're like, sorry, we're not, we can't return it, but we'll give you $30, a 30% discount. I'm like, well, that's, you know, I'm going to go send it to Goodwill in that case. You know, yes. it's, it's unfortunate. So I, you know, I always <laughs> think, boy, do they talk about a bait and switch? Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a market for it. That's where they're surviving. So, you know, I, it shocks me because, because the quality is so bad. And I think that's what happens. People end up falling into that trap one time, like I did. Yeah. yeah. And then never again. Yeah. I was like, what was I thinking? Nah. Shame on you, Carol. Well, you fell for the end, you know, presentation. Well, right. Exactly. It, which I don't normally do. I don't normally buy anything off Facebook be- just <laughs> because that's a whole separate issue <laughs> of why I don't want to do that. But um, in any event, um, anybody who knows me knows how much I hate Facebook. So, um, but but you know, let's let's talk about some of the challenges um, that you you know either have or are facing with your own company and inside the industry, if there are any. Current one is just the market's changing so quickly. Like, you mm. know, uh, we've seen a decline in economy and then picking up and then, you know, very, uh, when the trends are, you know, there was like whole digital mm-hmm. uh, trend of NFTs and we're doing virtual and now yeah. we're doing this and, you know, so there's been a lot of changes and it's hard to keep up with everything. Um uh, so at times we just have to slow down and that's what I did. Like I took a few months to slow down and figure out like where, what do I see next? Like, you know, there's enough in the market, but where do we see us going next? And what is the problem that we can help or solve for a larger number of people and sectors, like instead of focusing on a niche. Um, um, challenges wise, there's always challenges in, um, Finding the right people. I've always yeah. had that from the beginning. Right. You know, once someone quits, then you're left with, you know, a replacement who you may not be a good fit for your company. How do you do deal with that? Um, sometimes we've had challenges where we don't have inventory. So our biggest customer uh, mm-hmm. uh, 
audience is size large and Excel, and we run out of those sizes because well, that's everyone else. Right, so, right, sure. <laughs> how do we keep up with that? Um, you know, so yeah, a small little problems can be- become big problems um, mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, but our main goal, and it's always been, you know, my goal and up in my personal journey is to make sure that we stay in touch with our customer. So we really do focus a lot on, uh, customer journey. And I send out service from my own personal email regularly to see if there's something we could improve mm-hmm. on, if they're complaining about something, uh, mm-hmm. we do that through influencers as well. So yeah, uh, challenges are different each day. Um, yeah. Uh, in the past, when I was building it, my challenges were more on the tech side. Finding, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because we had to bootstrap, so we had to be a little scrappy in what we were doing, mm-hmm. uh, especially building out the tech piece. So I made a lot of mistakes hiring the wrong people when I outsourced because you can't meet them. And you're just relying on cameras and video calls to understand who they are and if they can actually mm-hmm. do the job. I mean, mm-hmm. thank God I'm, I'm a techie, so I understand the lingo, but I can't code. So there were issues where, you know, there were delivery issues or they would not mm-hmm. do the things right. Um, and as a woman in tech, as, as I had mentioned before, when I saw that there was only one person in the classroom, that continued in my life. Like most of my developers have been men. Uh, very few, you know, coders have been women. So again, at the, it comes with like an ego, ego approach as well, taking instructions so to speak from a woman um you know having trust issues having um it's you know just power power issues i would say is this because your developers are in india Mitali? do you think yeah well it's been both india and i've done it in europe as well in egypt as well different cultures have different ways right but in the end, I think there's a feminine and masculine component to this problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that, that would be a much longer conversation that we don't really have time for today. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned uh, your challenges in hiring, and usually I get to this a little bit later on in the interview, but tell me a little bit about your talent strategy overall. Overall is values. The first thing I uh, question people is what they're, you know, try and understand what their overall values are, if they're in an alignment with our mission, with our mm-hmm. value system. Because like I said, giving back and that whole mission about body positivity, and it doesn't have to be directly related, but has to be a mission-oriented person. You can just come in to make money. Um, sure. As I usually don't like, I mean, unless you have like, you know, I'm, everyone has to pay bills and everyone has to do it, but there has to be more to your life than just making money mm-hmm. uh, off of, you know, work. Uh, so that's definitely number one, uh, looking at values. Um, second thing I look at is, you know, I mean, skill sets, obviously, you know, you have to see if it's a, if it's a match, especially when I'm hiring someone, um, you know, up on the chain, like on the food chain, then they have to fulfill skills that I don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, even if it's not out, like, you know, when we were first creating our operations, um, the full warehousing space, I'd never done this before. And it's not my skill set even now. It's never going to be under resume. So, <laughs> so look, and why, you know, I wanted to make sure that we are hiring people who've done this in the past, who can complement the skill sets yes. that I don't have. Um, so definitely that's number two on the list, you know, making sure the skill set complement and you're not just filling a role, but you're actually filling a, a missing piece in the puzzle. Um, 
Um, third one is just, you know, their attitude toward others, like that you can tell when you're talking to them. Are they going to be nice? Are they going to be good to other people? Because I don't want to create drama in the company. And I've had that. I've had, I'm not saying that we've had the right people all the time who I've learned from my mistake. There are red flags. So, so, so tell me that, I, that I'm a little more, I want to dig into that a little bit. Sure. What are the kind of sure. questions that you ask uh, that is, that is enabling you to determine Oh yeah, this person's going to be, you know, an an a hole to their, you know, peers or whatever, or to their subordinates. Sure. I mean, I asked them directly: Have you had conflicts in the past with your coworkers? And if yes, how did you resolve them? If they're stuck on that question itself, they don't know. I mean, every person has a conflict. You cannot not have a conflict. If they're totally stuck and trying to figure that question and answer out, then it it we know it. And sometimes you can tell if this like a narrated story that you're telling from, you know, something that you've learned, uh, you know, you repeatedly say that thing then, and it's not true. You can also tell that by body language. I usually do video interviews and don't do phone interviews because uh, that's something I've learned, like through eye contact and body language, you can learn more about the person. Yeah, that's very true. You know, I, I, I think it's often very underrated uh, nonverbal communication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's really, really important. Yeah. You know, yeah. people, I mean, I can see it when I'm, when I'm watching other people. Yeah. You know, that, that, that non, but, but I'm also, you know, this is what I do, partly what right. I do. So right. um, it's easier for me, but I don't think a lot of people, sometimes they just don't, or they unconsciously feel it, but don't even, but don't consciously recognize it. Right. Right. Um, as a leader, Mitali, uh, um, what would you say from your first startup? What would you say you have learned and what are some of the mistakes that you've made as a leader? I'll talk about my mistakes first. Um, I was very controlling. I felt like, you know, when you come from corporate because you are you have structure and mm-hmm. you, ex- you have expectations, you have goals and everything is in line, you know, with the whole organization. I I, beca- I came in as a very controlling leader. Um, I didn't. I was I was expecting results. I was expecting results in a certain way from certain people, um, and that wasn't uh, the way to go. The more I let go of control, better things happened. So definitely giving space for things to happen and also for people to operate um, in their own way because we're dealing with different skill sets, you're de- dealing mm-hmm. with different kinds of people. It's not corporate, it's startup. Mm-hmm. You're not going to yeah. get exactly the same kind of talent also, That's right? right. So, um, um, so just making, you know, yourself more aware of where you're holding on to certain beliefs and, you know, not pushing them on to others. <laughs> I think that was my... How did, how did you come to that, to realize that you were controlling and that was not working? Um, I could see it. Like I could see from people, they were getting frustrated. I was getting mm. frustrated. Um, and this was creating unhealthiness. And I don't want to believe, I don't want an unhealthy environment. That's not the purpose of my company. Um, and I'm like totally the opposite. In fact, so in my office, we used to have, we still do. We have a meditation hour I try during lunch. And we also have dance hours. So we split it up. Like one day we'll dance, it. we'll do a meditation. <laughs> so... Uh, I mean, it's, it's about having fun, right? So once, if mm-hmm. it's, if you're not having fun, then you're doing something wrong, I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was my, uh, red flag when I was doing it. And 
and to be honest, a lot of it came from the pressure from investments. Like, oh, I have to raise money and have to show traction. I have to show month over month growth. And then, you know, it. I was just at a point that, you know, if, if it doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen. Let me at least not kill myself and others during this process. Um, so, yeah, that was number one mistake, I would say. Um, second was figuring out everything from day one. I feel like a lot of us make a mistake of... Uh, you know, we know what we think everyone wants, but then we are, we become a little bit too, um, again, it's also part of controlling, I guess. We think that this is the one we need to build and, you know, this is how it should go. Um, but there should be room for pivoting. There should be room for, you know, movement in the company right. where one direction it can take. So I've made some financial mistakes during that because I was working towards so making it so perfect uh, mm-hmm. from day one. Um, but then I realized, okay, you know, maybe it's not the right way. Um, mm-hmm. we learn from customers and we do it. So the second favorite I made with my company, I was like that. I, I sent out surveys almost every week, first 500, first five, first thousand, first 3000, just to make sure we know where we are going with it. And if it's, we're going in the right direction. Um, so yeah, those were my, I would say, uh, biggest, um, um, mistakes if you want to call them but definitely growth for my personal growth that contributed yeah. a lot i i love i love that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean business life is not separate from your personal life right <laughs> well you know what one of, one of my great coaches said to me um long ago you don't have business problems you have personal problems that show up in your business exactly in all relationships personal and business i think it's That's all right. related like That's how right. um you know, inner, your inner child comes out in all situations, I feel. Yeah. So how do you go about finding your customers? and how, Or how do they find you? Sure. Um, we actually got really lucky in the beginning. So in twenty beginning of 2019, when we, were, we first launched, um, I clearly remember this day because it was my birthday. And um, I was in Tulum. I was in Mexico. I... We were just playing around with the platform. We were, you know, talking to some influencers on Instagram. We thought Instagram is the way to go. Like people from Instagram would know about us. And, you know, we're doing this social media stuff. And, you know, this is how we're going to grow. <laughs> Little did I know um, that morning of my birthday, we got like 250 requests. And I'm like, well, what happened overnight? Like, I'm right here. Mm-hmm. We don't even have enough inventory. What happened? <laughs> and <laughs> so... Um, there was a lady who did an unboxing video on YouTube and that's how it happened. So I, again, this was, it was nothing that we had planned for. I did not even like, I'm not a YouTube user at all. I mean, I watched YouTube videos for inspiration and this and that. I didn't know this whole concept of unboxing clothing boxes uh, existed. And because she picked it up, because she did a uh, video on us, her peers also requested so it became like a snowball effect and we didn't even know where it was coming from. Um, and over the years, we've had thousands of videos uh, on YouTube and that was an attraction. We did not pay for ads till COVID, like where 2021 is probably the year we first started dipping into ads uh, on mm-hmm. Facebook. So customers find us through social media, influencers mainly. Um, but yeah, we've tried uh, advertisements a little bit on Facebook. So when you advertise on Facebook, how do you, I'm, I'm, you know, you've got obviously somebody who's doing the targeting. How do you target? Who are you targeting? Um, moms in that certain age group, 30 and up. Okay. And uh, mostly our customers, we know where our customers are. So we try and do lookalike audiences, 
you know. Mm-hmm. They're not like rural, but they're not in New York City either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, smaller cities. You know, it, it, we've, we've, I mean, if you ask so many people in the country, are we in a recession? Most people will say, many people will say, yes, we are, even though the government officially says we're not in one. Um, but it looks like we're probably headed there actually officially. Um, will that, you know, should that happen? Is that going to be a threat to your business? Do you think? Um, no, it's just like food. People need clothes, right? They might not buy as many clothes. They might not want to luxury, but some people would still do like this. This is still going to exist. People are still going to need clothes to wear. You know, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like a good to feel kind of thing, right? You, it's not like a survival thing, but it's mm-hmm. definitely something you make you make yourself feel good with, right? You might not yeah. buy go shopping every month, but maybe once in three months. So yes, is it going to affect maybe? Um, but is it going to affect us drastically that we're going to shut down? Probably not. Good, that's fantastic. So you've got about forty employees, um, most of whom are you know uh, uh, full time permanent employees. You do have some contractors. Um, and, and, you know, those are, I think, primarily your developers. Um, and we've talked a little bit about your developers, but I, I want to talk a little bit about um, when we had first talked, how do you go about managing your outsourced developers? Um, we maintain certain things, like um, there are some platforms that we use for managing, like Jira is basically the biggest one that we use um, for managing software development. We keep our pro- processes in there. We, you know, we kept the record of um, stages and issues and mm-hmm. ticket solving. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely that's number one. Believe it or not, WhatsApp has been a great tool <laughs> to communicate. Uh, yeah. I'm not a big well, fan right. of Slack. I'm actually a bigger plan fan of WhatsApp. Um, so WhatsApp definitely has helped. Um, and time to time, like, you know, we've developed a relationship now. So, we, you know, mm-hmm. people also know you know, they're in it for something bigger and it's not like a one-time job that they're going to leave. So, you know, in, there's emotional involvement that happens, you know, from employees as well. Or even if they're contractors, they know there's mm-hmm. something more to it than just getting a paycheck. And that's mm-hmm. one thing, you know, I told you, I look forward to like, you know, building relationships and it's not all transactional for me, even with um, people who work at Passion. Yeah, that's great. So um, you mentioned you've had some turnover. I mean, what would you say the percentage of turnover is that you've had over the last few years? People? Yeah. Oh, for marketing, it was a revolving door at one time. I'm not even joking. So uh, we couldn't find the right talent. We needed to push, you know, numbers to grow, grow, grow. Like I was saying when we were, especially when we were raising mm-hmm. money, uh, I, I, Made some mistakes. So one of the things that I can clearly point out is that someone who's worked in a big corporation with big money is not the right fit for a startup, for sure. (laughs) I could have told you that 20 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I came with the notion saying, okay, this person has done it. And this person knows how to grow a company, but then they don't know how to grow a small company. So that's correct. uh, So that was uh, a, a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely that turnover and I was, especially in the marketing was much higher than any other department, I would say. I mean, you know, small scale stuff like packaging yeah. people, operations, you know, that's very transactional also, not transactional, mm-hmm. but very that short term because then they find something else that's mm-hmm. near to their house or, you know, more convenient. So that, that was another piece I would say operation was a bit challenging. Mm-hmm. 
Would you say uh, there's any outdated advice being disseminated in your industry? And if so, what is it? Like in fashion, uh, if there's something that's outdated? Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much buzz about sustainability. And I know there's pe- the people who are talking and trying to do work around it. But I would want to see more. I feel like not enough action has been taken. We talk about mm-hmm. it. We know it. We acknowledge it. But we need to do more. Like, why right. is there so much access of inventory that I just, just discovered? You know, uh, why didn't we, we've been talking about sustainability uh, from years, mm-hmm. like, you know, but we've come to a point where there's still the problem exists and we, are we really working towards it? What's our projection? Like, no one talks about mm-hmm. projections. Like, how is that going to reduce in the next five years, mm-hmm. 10 years? What is going to happen? Mm-hmm. What are you most proud of when it comes to your organization? My team. I feel like I'm not a single person on the, um, behind the success. I feel like it was us and not just me. And I'm very proud of everyone who's contributed and believed in that mission together with mm-hmm. me. How do you define your culture? Oh, <laughs> so in the office, I'm called the chief entertainment officer. It's not yeah. my E stands for <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> uh, so culture-wise, like I said, I'm very, it's very friendly. I don't like in personal life, I don't like very serious people, so I kind of attract mm-hmm. that kind of crowd too. Um, I don't. My my mantra in, at work is like, you don't have to be serious to be taken seriously, and I say this right. out loud. Uh, something that I like, I was telling you when you know, once I realized, okay, you know, things should not be controlled. There's one thing mm-hmm. that I learned that people should be also allowed to make mistakes. I make mistakes, mm-hmm. um, um, so why not everyone else? So we started doing like an oops board in the office. And I would be the first one to go every week in our team meeting where we had like mm-hmm. a, a paper or something behind us and we'd write down what mistakes we did. So that mm-hmm. way, when I spoke about my mistakes, everyone else could like, oh, yeah, I should be the wrong thing. Right. They felt they felt they felt that, that it was it was open, open to be yeah. able to do that. Sure. Yeah. 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 So well, that's and I think, because- you know, when when showing vulnerab- vulnerability and I would consider that to be vulnerability. Right. Right. Um, as a leader, I think is one of the most important things leaders can do. I think it's right. underrated. It does, for um, sure. Yeah. So uh, what's your day-to-day look like as a leader? Um, what do you kind of, other than being the chief entertainment officer? <laughs> <laughs> I have to wear multiple hats. So Passion doesn't yeah. have any co-founders. Um, so while I'm beginning, you know, I are working on my next startup. I still have to make sure everything's working over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so on a day-to-day basis, like, you know, we have check-ins. Like now we are at a point where a lot of it is on autopilot. So I'm not needed as hands-on as I was, but mm-hmm. if needed, like I'm going, I'll, I'll do packaging. I'll figure out my labels, you know, I see everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but because one thing that helped me was I'm a techie. So we became very tech-friendly as a company. So everything runs mm-hmm. on dashboards. Every morning I can see what went wrong or if there's something we need to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I go in and I'm like basically looking at things where my immediate attention's needed. Otherwise, it's just daily operations work. And then if nothing's needed, then I can focus on weather and stir up. Um, I do try and allocate like a few hours every day for that while, you know, yeah. while I'm still in fashion. So if, somebody, if someone were wanting to get into the fashion industry... They were just getting into it. What, what advice would you give them? I've learned like how to swim after thrown into the pool. So I'm pretty sure everyone else can. You don't have to be a fashion wager. Um, 
as women, I don't know, maybe it's like a woman thing. We always grew up, you know, learning about fashion on our own. So mm-hmm. um, it, it wasn't like, oh, you know, rocket science to figure out mm-hmm. what women want. Mm-hmm. Um, so someone stepping into fashion and be like, sure. I mean, see if it's tough, if it's fashion is your passion, for sure. Right. Don't do out of, you know, necessity. Right. And if uh, if somebody listening to this podcast um, thinks, well, I really like what I'm hearing about this company and I'd sure be interested in maybe exploring working for them. What would you suggest that they do? Um, they can write us to write us uh, at hello at passion.com to send us your resume and a cover letter because then I would know what you have like. Right. And that's F-A-S-H-O-M, not M as in Mary. Correct. Hello at fashion. Fantastic. Um, Tali, is there anything that we haven't, that I haven't covered uh, that you want to talk about before we uh, close out? Um, Not really, but I mean, I would just want to stress out one thing that, you know, creativity requires awareness and the more mindful we are of our, of us inside of us, it's the better we can create for the world. So I would I would want to promote or talk about that and let people know that, you know, just don't think from your mind, also think from inside. Well, Mitali Saxena, founder and CEO of Fashion, I I can, you know, I can put a pin right in that and that's a perfect way to end end the interview. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Carol. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Authentically Successful Show. Don't forget to click follow to hear more and please leave us an honest review and rating so we can continue to improve and bring you more great stories. If you're interested in being my next guest, please check the episode description for information to apply. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.